أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد Alhamdulillah, we've reached this Mubarak sixth night of Ramadan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us from his rahmah. وَهَبْ لَنَا مِنْ لَدُنْكَ رَحْمَةً إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْوَحَّابِ The uh, recitation of the Qur'an is continuing. If you haven't made it to the masjid yet, it's not too late. Get up and go. Make it for any prayer you can. Make it for taraweeh. Hear the word of Allah Ta'ala being recited with sanad. This custom of reciting the entire Qur'an in Ramadan is not a custom of this world, but it is something that was gifted to us uh, from the barakah of Inna Anzalnahu Fi Laylatul Qadr. Uh, it was a custom gifted to us by the coming down of Sayyidina Jibreel salam to the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and hearing the entire Qur'an from him in the month of Ramadan and twice uh, in the last Ramadan before he passed Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And there's great barakah and khair in it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq. So we continue uh, with our uh, look at the life of the Shaykh Saifuddin al-Bakharzi. Uh, rahimahullah ta'ala wa qaddasallahu sirrahu. And uh, the theme in looking at his life is what does it mean to be beloved? What does it mean to be mahboob? that the Shaykh Khaja Najmuddin Kubra uh, said to his uh, beloved disciple while the disciple was busy exerting himself uh, in the khalwa, in isolation, in his devotions and his spiritual sacrifices and struggles and exercises. Manam aashiq maragham saazwar ast tu maashuqi tara bagham chekar ast that I am a lover, and for me, gham, heartbreak, sorrow is acceptable. But you are a beloved. What work or what deed do you have that connects you with heartbreak or with sorrow? And it's said about uh, the Shaykh uh, Bakharzi, rahimahullah ta'ala, because of the, the, the purity that was innate inside of him, the beauty that was inside of him, that uh, he was inwardly beautiful and outwardly beautiful. He was actually a very well-built man. And he, uh, you know, he said the, the, the following lines when people asked about him, because people think of Sufis, you know, the Darvesh as somebody who should be bent over double uh, by hunger and by weakness and by emaciation and malnutrition. And they saw that Bakharzi was actually a very handsome man and he was a very well built man. Very clever, uh, clever uh, bait uh, or uh, a very clever couplet that he said, they say, they say, that the bodies of lovers are emaciated. But look at you, mashallah, so well built. Uh, and, uh, 
you're nothing except for what I see, a well-built man. You're a big guy. You're 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 uh, well-built. You have muscle. You have fat. You're you're a big guy. And uh, 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 he says, he says. So I said, the reason for that is what? The reason for that is because love is something that contradicts your disposition. Your disposition to your disposition, love is like a pain or like a poison. And for that reason, when you get into a state of love, you become weak and you become all of these things. Whereas love is something that suits my disposition so much that it turned into my food. It turned into the very food and the very nourishment and sustenance that I, that I have. Allah Ta'ala give us this tawfiq. Uh, so many of us have made a life for ourselves being haters. You know what it is? It's like, it's like somebody who works out with bad technique. Like if you, for example, if you run, you know, you duck, duck, walk your feet outward. So your toes don't point forward when you run, but they point outward. If you run with these duck feet, it's probably not good form. Like I'm not like an Olympic runner, cross country runner, marathon runner or whatever, but I'm going to go out on a limb and guess it's not very good form. But if you do it, more and more and more what will happen is your gait will adjust to this uh, 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 lack of uh, good form your musculature will adjust you'll actually kind of get used to it uh, you may keep doing it so much that you end up later on causing yourself uh, self permanent injuries uh, that you cannot recover from afterward but in the middle like your body will become accustomed to it just because you practice it so much a human being was not meant to be a hater the human heart was made in order to love uh, and it was made in order to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that one love just like we have tawheed in all things that one love is the love of Allah ta'ala with that one love and from the barakah of that one love the love can touch all of the creation as well but it was meant for that one love just like a person is meant to run with their you know their feet pointing forward if they intentionally duck, duck walk their feet while they, when they run and they just do it mile after mile, day after day, month after month, year after year, they'll become kind of used to it, but it's going to be the reason for their own permanent injury and debilitation. And that's what happens when we are haters with our hearts, when we're jealous of one another. Why are we jealous of one another? Allah Ta'ala is the one who chose to give whatever he gave to whoever he gave it. Allah Ta'ala is the one who gives to whomever he pleases. Allah Ta'ala is the one who gives guidance. Allah Ta'ala is the one who gives forgiveness. Allah Ta'ala is the one who gives beauty. Allah Ta'ala is the one who gives wealth. Allah Ta'ala is the one who gives sickness and health. He's the one who gives life and death. Why do we have to be haters uh, so much? Like we're, we're such haters. This is something perhaps I shouldn't talk about. It's somewhat of an aside. Uh, but, uh, you know, why not? Because it's diagnosing a sickness that we have in the ummah. You know, one of the reasons people join, uh, uh, you know, all of these kind of weird groups, and there's like a hundred million weird groups out there. They're weird groups that, that define themselves based on their own uh, uh, psychological or identitarian deviance, according to their sexual deviance, according to their deviant appetites, according to their weird deviant politics. Uh, people will join these racist groups. People will join gangs. People will join. People will join all of these kind of different groups. Why is it? It's because they find people in that group accepting, and they find people who uh, who who will love them. I uh, obviously this is a stupid thing to admit to in Ramadan, but once I was bored and I made a fake 
uh, you know, social media profile uh, with the idea of just like trolling, uh, you know, people from one side of the spectrum. So I, you know, like tweet like a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, silly things like, oh, you know, you know, new new research came out that proves that Obama was the one who like invented AIDS or something like that. And obviously all the people from like, you know, a per particular side of the uh, uh, political spectrum, they completely jump on board, right? Whereas if as a Muslim, if you say something, even if it's the haq, what happens, you know, you'll have Trump supporters with like 100,000 followers. They'll like answer your your tweets. And if you like, you know, at them or whatever, they'll answer, they'll ask how you're doing, they'll like actually treat you like a human being. Whereas, mashallah, we're such a small community as Muslims, a person gets like five people who listen to them, all of a sudden their head is like so puffed up, they don't want to talk to nobody anymore. And, uh, you know, we don't, you know, we're so like class conscious. And this is sickness that comes from, you know, colonization and from the countries, uh, you know, that we come from, from the dysfunctional way that they work. We're so class conscious. We're so race, race conscious. We're just a bunch of haters, you know. All of us have it inside of us. Like, it's not me, like, telling another person. Someone might say, well, look at you. You're a jerk every time I, one time I tried to ask you a fit question and you didn't give me the time of day or this or that and, you know, the other thing. You know, maybe I, you know, I was overwhelmed or maybe I am a jerk, you know. Maybe I'm talking about myself as well. But we have this. All of us have this in our inside of us that we're, we're you know, we have to some degree or another... Um, we have hate inside of us. We're just a bunch of haters. And I have to admit, like if it wasn't for having met the Mashaikh and met the Ahlullah and seeing seeing the joy that comes from Iman, the Bashashatul Iman, and seeing the beauty of Akhlaq and the beauty of how to deal with people you love and how to deal with people you hate, how to use love as a reward to the person you want to reward and as a weapon against the person who you want to fight against, the same love will disarm your enemy. And it's the same love that will make your, uh, you know, your family and your friends and the people who are closest to you happy. It's just this like super powerful thing. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you see that, that, that this is something that, that, uh, Ta'ala, he was died in. And it's not a gift that comes for free. I've come to the conclusion that most people, when they come to a dars, when most people join a tariqah, when most people become Muslims, when most people do almost anything it is that they do in life, they say that it's for money, or they say it's for guidance, or they say that it's for learning, or they say that it's for rectification. It's just a world filled with people who need love. They just need to be loved. Parents are stressed out. They don't give time to their kids. Like we're not here to blame them because they have to pay bills and like it's just a screwed up world. Nobody chooses. You know, we we're all playing the game. None of us made it, made the rules. Um, I guess if you made the rules, then shame on you. But like for the rest of us little people, you know, none of us made the rules. We're all just forced to play the game. And so people didn't get love from their parents. They didn't get love from their like underpaid, overworked, stressed out, and uh, otherwise unqualified spiritually, morally, or intellectually school teachers. They didn't get love from their siblings. They didn't get love from their children. They didn't get love from just all the places that a normal human being will find love from. People won't find it. So they look for love. They, you know, they come to the dars and the sheikh is trying to teach them ilm and they're, they're looking for love. The murshid is trying to teach them zikr 
and they're looking for love. They're looking for a community. There's somebody to pat them on the head and say, everything will be okay. You know, people, they, they, they look for a presidential candidate or a candidate, a political candidate, and they don't even know what the person's policies are. They just want somebody to like, you know, make them feel like they're protected. Like, you know, if you're of the XYZ, like green race, um, then somebody will get up and say, I'm going to fight for the greens and I'm going to like, you know, screw the purples and screw the blues and screw the yellows and the reds and whatever, you know, greens first. And it makes people feel loved. They're looking for what? They're looking for that love. The sad part is you're not going to find that love from any human being, from anyone in the creation. You can only find that love from Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala is the only one who has any haqiqi, any real love inside of him. And even the fake love that people give to one another or the watered down or uh, secondary love that we find from the creation, nobody is going to be able to give it to you unconditionally. Not your wife, not your parents. Everyone will tap out at some point. Everyone will disappoint you if tested. Uh, you have to hold the line. You have inside of your heart this idea that everyone, if you push them too much, they're going to they're gonna flip from, from loving you to to hating you and some of them will do it anyway even if you don't push them some of them will do it anyway even if you uh, do good by them as much as you can the only one who will un love you unconditionally and the only one who can love you unconditionally is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because his love is the only love that's that's the real love it's only one love uh, Ustadji Mawlana Hassan who I read uh, the front half of the Mishkat from and, and uh, half of the Hidayah from and uh, uh, the the uh, front half of Tirmizi from and Abu Dawood and a number of other books. Um, he's very keen. He's very keen of quoting Mu'ana Ahmad Ali Lahori rahimahullah ta'ala uh, uh, who said that Tawheed has to go both ways, right? The oneness of Allah, the founding tenet of Islam has to go both ways. We usually mention Tawheed as being that we worship no one but Allah. We only worship one Allah. But the Tawheed has to be for Allah and it has to be for you too as a slave that you look at yourself and say, I'm the slave of no one but Allah. That I'm, a, I'm the slave only of Allah. You say that, that nobody is to be worshipped but Allah, but I also say, do, who do I belong to? Do, do I belong to the company? Do I belong to my country? Do I belong to my family? Do I belong to my parents? Do I belong to my wife or to my husband or to my children? Who do I belong to? And as long as you have uh, you know, a question about that, you, you're, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Say, no, I belong to Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala is the one who commanded uh, that I be good to my parents and to my family and to my, you know, you know, be good to my countrymen and my neighbors and etc. Um, but you belong only to Allah Ta'ala. When you make tawheed of yourself for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, then you open your heart up to receive that love. That's the only love that can fill the hole and the gap inside of your heart. And you receive that love until you have this faith, this divine outpouring of grace on you that you become dyed in the color of uh, the color of being beloved. And Rasulullah was Muhammad. He was the praised one. He was the, the beloved one, the Mahbub of Allah Ta'ala, the Habib of Allah Ta'ala. And like that, uh, anyone who carries the color um, which comes with the dye of being from the Ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the truest sense. That person carries the color of, of love. They're dyed in that color of love. And nobody will see it except for they also become beloved. And 
that's what the whole point of this thing is. That's what the whole point of this thing is. Allah Ta'ala Himself says in His books, Taha ma anzalna al-Qur'an litashqa, O Muhammad We didn't send this Qur'an down on you so that it's like a means for you to be wretched. So you, you're hungry when other people are eating and you're broke when other people are rich and you're sad when every other people are enjoying. It's not for that reason. It's not for that reason. It's rather so that you could receive this love that you were created to receive and without which you'll never be whole, without which you'll never be happy. Uh, you can only make Instagram posts that make you look like you're happy, but you can't be actual happy, happy inside of your heart. And so we, you know, we continue with the story of Bakharzi Rahimullah that look what happened, that uh, because he received a little bit of ikram from uh, 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 um, from the Mongol minister, Mahmoud uh, Galwach, uh, um, and because he uh, had enough respect in him that he saved some people in Bukhara from being executed, the miscreants around Baiku, uh, the Mongol commander in that region, uh, the miscreants around him, they basically put poison in Baiku's ear uh, who was an evil man that hated the Muslims, that this Bakharzi, look at him, he's so arrogant, he hasn't come to visit you yet and pay uh, obsequience. And uh, he uh, he secretly harbors the l l desire to become uh, the new Khalifa. And uh, uh, Baikhu then orders that he be brought in chains to uh, Samarkand, where he, uh, where he is. And what happens? Uh, Vahbi mentions that uh, as soon as as soon as he gets anywhere near Samarkand, that when they chained him up, he says that, look, you're humiliating me right now by, by arresting me and taking me. He says, after this humiliation, you'll see how, how, how much honor uh, uh, that, that Allah Ta'ala will bestow upon me. That when he got to Samarkand, um, right then and there, Baikhu uh, passed away. And it was so creepy for the Mongols, who were already a relatively shamanistic and superstitious people, that uh, they considered it to be one of the miracles of the Sheikh. And a number of them actually accepted Islam uh, at his hands. And they now knew not to mess with him anymore. Which was what? Which is the... Uh, the 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 prognostication of the Sheikh Najmuddin Kubra that we mentioned yesterday, that he said that Basharat Bad that take the glad tidings, that uh, one day the kings will 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 roll at your feet, the the authorities and the government uh, will roll at your feet, and that's the same Najmuddin who himself was Shahid. And can you imagine that? Think about that, right? How much heartbreak you would have. That all the work you did, everything you knew, everything you saw, all the work you did, your father, his father before him, your forefathers for centuries, all of it is flattened and destroyed in front of your eyes. Sheikh Najmuddin himself loses his life to the Mongols. Bakharzi himself has to uh, leave and he sees that same Bukhara that used to be like a garden of Jannah on earth. It's completely leveled and... Uh, and then even then after after starting uh, its uh, resettlement to see such a huge massacre take place again, um, you know, with us, we get really frustrated, like with small setbacks. But look at the vision and the basira and the sabr and the istiqama of these people, the vision and the patience and the steadfastness of these people. 
that even when being taken in chains, uh, he sees he, he sees that look I'm going through humiliation right now, but I'll see honor after this. And he has yaqeen in it. He has he has he has certainty in it. And look what Allah Taala did to him, uh, did for him that he killed Baiku. Uh, he took Baiku away, and a, a number of the uh, courtiers uh, in Samarkand will accept Islam. And what what he'll do is he'll actually go because this story kind of parallels another story, which is that Imam, Imam Bukhari, ta'ala, who lived his life in Bukhara, he um, he was kicked out of Bukhara or forced out of Bukhara because of a certain uh, uh, court intrigue uh, between the court and between him and between jealous other ulama and him. And so he had to basically go lie low in a village outside of Samarkand where, uh, with relatives, a village called Khartank. And so, and he passed away over there. So his grave is actually outside of Samarkand in this village of Khartank. And Bakharzi, he got dragged in chains to Samarkand. And then Allah Ta'ala took the life of uh, this tyrant who had him brought there. And uh, now all of a sudden he's like in an honored position. So he took the opportunity to go to Khartank where obviously the masjid and mazar uh, of Imam Bukhari was completely destroyed. And he sat there and marked that place of uh, Imam B uh, Bukhari's mazar. And he read the uh, uh, Sahih Bukhari again. And he renewed uh, uh, the masjid and the complex um, uh, associated with the Mazar of uh, Imam Bukhari. And he uh, also uh, uh, revived, uh, um, he also revived that place. And uh, just like he did with Bukhara, the people of Samarkand asked him, please stay with us. And uh, he refused. He says, I have to, I have to go uh, back to Bukhara. So uh, we continue and uh, uh, what, what ends up happening is that one of the Mongol uh, noblemen, he accepts Islam uh, and the Sheikh, he accepts Islam at the hands of the Sheikh that Habib mentions. And the Sheikh gives, gives him the name Mu'min and he becomes like the doorman, the hajib, the, the chamberlain of the Sheikh, the person you basically have to go through in order to um, see the Sheikh. That the Mongols started to respect him so much that they gave him the uh, uh, the title of Ulul Sheikh. Uh, Ulul Sheikh means what? It means like the high or the great, the great Sheikh. Like you know how in, in Bursa the the or or in a number of places even in Anatolia the Juma Masjid um, is called the Ulu Jami, the Ulu Jami because the Anatolian Turkish when they switched to the uh, um, Ataturkian uh, Rasam orthography the reins oftentimes get dropped or they're written but they're silent so in uh, the the central turkic lands the word is ulul like with the rain uh, and it becomes ulu with without the rain in uh, anatolian turkish so they called him ulul sheikh um, and it's really interesting that Zahabi mentions that Zahabi himself is a turkoman he's himself a turk um, so he mentions that the mongols called him uh, ulul sheikh and uh, um, it's said that even uh, Hulegu, the, uh, the, the, the violent and bloodthirsty tyrant of the Mongols who 
eventually uh, would end up sacking Baghdad, and it's probably the most hated of the Mongol commanders, even more so than uh, Genghis Khan uh, for having sacked Baghdad, um, that even he used to refer to Bakharzi as, as Ulul Sheikh. Um, and uh, what happens is that one of the grandsons of Genghis Khan, uh, a, uh, uh, the son of Jochi, who was the firstborn of Genghis Khan, um, his name is Berke, his Mongol name is Berke, that he wants to accept Islam and he wants to uh, become a Muslim and he wants to become a, uh, a murid of, uh, of, of the Sheikh Najmuddin. Now, Berke's older brother, who was another Mongol commander who had a special amount of spite and ire for the Muslims, um, he was a, a, a Mongol uh, nobleman by the name of Batu. And Batu hated the Muslims. However, like many of the other commanders, he he had respect for um, he had respect for the Ulul Sheikh uh, uh, Bakharzi. And he probably would not have approved of his brother accepting Islam, except for when he said that I want to go to Bakharzi, then he said, that's okay. This guy, just stick with him. And so Zahabi uh, mentions the story of his his uh, 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 taking uh, uh, taking Berke on as a uh, as a disciple. That uh, Berke uh, asked for permission to visit the sheikh, and so the sheikh uh, uh, gave him permission. He came from uh, Bulgar, which is a city in it's near Kazan. It's quite far away from Bukhara. Uh, uh, it's in uh, 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 it's it's in uh, Kazan, so it's well within what we uh, now. Uh, would call the Russian Federation, and uh, uh, he came to Bukhara, and he arrived after Isha on a winter night when it, there was ice and snow outside, and uh, uh, instead of instead of uh, uh, going somewhere and spending the night, or instead of knocking at the door, uh, uh, what did he do? He stood that entire night at the door of the sheikh. Uh, without knocking, without bothering the sheikh, without waking him up, and uh, uh, waited for the sheikh to uh, uh, come out, and he was praying the whole time. And um, when he entered, he uh, kissed the sheikh, and he uh, uh, his adab impressed the sheikh. And not only did he accept uh, Islam, but a number of the commanders and courtiers, Mongol notables that were with him accepted uh, Islam with him, and he then takes bay'ah, he took the tariqah from the Sheikh Bakharzi. Um, and this is something that many people in their spiritual path, uh, when they, you know, when they go to take the tariqah, these are very, very genuine and very universal types of experiences, that a person approaches their Sheikh with this much reverence, and, you know, comes in a state of tahara and comes, you know, with a state of reverence and gravity uh, that I'm doing this for my own islah. Uh, and so uh, he does this and, you know, again, a number of courtiers accept Islam uh, 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 with him. And the sheikh then gives him a wird. He gives him a daily amount of dhikr that he should do. And he gives him a, a daily number of du'as that he should ask, which all of us should have orad, for, orad from our mashaykh, and all of us should have du'as that we read every day. 
and uh, uh, he then said, you have to go back uh, to your people. And uh, Berke, who receives the Muslim name Baraka Khan, uh, Berke, he, he, doesn't, he tells the Sheikh, I don't want to leave you. But the Sheikh says that I don't like this idea that you abandon your, your people, that I want you to be the leader for your people and I want you to, to lead them. And uh, another thing, it's mentioned that he had 60 wives. Berke had 60 wives as uh, in, you know, before he accepted Islam. So the Sheikh told him, you have to choose four and divorce the, uh, the other 56, which, uh, uh, which he did. It's a sign of his sincerity, mashallah. Um, and he, it's, the Habi mentions that he goes back to his people, وَأَلْهَرَ شِعَارَ الْمِلَّةِ that he went back to his people, his Mongol people, and he manifested the, 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 the signs of deen uh, uh, amongst his people, and a great number of people accepted Islam also at his hands. And uh, uh, he uh, ordered that the fard, fardain should be taught amongst his people, that people should be taught fiqh, people should be taught aqidah, people should be taught these basics, which sadly... Um, we we've kind of abandoned or we think is a very niche like cd type of thing to do but it's what normal muslims do it's like the first thing you're supposed to do when you accept islam at least when you do it right and uh, it's you know that mentions that he had a number of number of ulama would visit him and uh, uh, he was the first person who was a Mongol commander that fought another Mongol commander because Hulegu, who later on will end up sacking Baghdad, uh, Berke is upset that he uh, sacked Baghdad without the um, without the permission or without the um, mashra and the consultation of the other Mongol chieftains, and uh, he will uh, basically fight with him, and his armies will actually do their armies will do battle, and he'll ally himself with the other forces that are fighting against Hulegu. One of the things about Berke that uh, you may know or you may not know that the great uh, Mamluk commander, Al-Malik Al-Zahir uh, uh, Babers, Rukn din Babers, the one who uh, ejected uh, a great number of the crusaders from the sacred lands, the majority of the crusaders from the sacred lands, um, and the one who, from the booty of the Ghanima of those wars with the crusaders he rebuilt the masjid of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to the current form that we see today like you know this kind of pink color uh building that's from the mamluk era the green dome etc etc um much of that is from the ghanima from from basically trashing the crusader fortresses in the sacred lands and sending them packing um that 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 berke will ally with Rukunuddin Babers, he'll actually set his, Babers will actually marry Berke's uh, daughter and they will have a, a child uh, who gets the name Said Baraka uh, and who rules for a short amount of time in his youth, um, uh, Mamluk, Egypt and Syria. And uh, Babers is also famous for being the first uh, Muslim commander who uh, defeats the Mongols uh, in the open field of battle at the Battle of Ain Jalut uh, between him and Saifuddin Qutuz. Um, and so, like, this is a really big fatah, it's a really big opening. Um, from the Mongols being especially hostile toward the Muslims and especially cruel toward the Muslims, to having uh, 
him be the only one that the Mongols will accept uh, their people accepting Islam at their hands. And he has a real uh, impact then um, on on the Mongol world and on the Muslim world. And Dhabi mentions that in, in, in his time, his uh, financial patronage uh, uh, reached uh, a majority of the ulama in that area, that he sponsored a great number of uh, um, uh, of ulama, he mentions that the kings of the world uh, would send gifts uh, to uh, Bakharzi, the last uh, uh, from the last uh, Khulafa uh, al Musta'sim uh, uh, sent gifts uh, to uh, Bakharzi. From amongst the rare and precious gifts he sent him was a mushaf that was written in the noble hand of Sayyidina Ali radiAllahu taala anhu. And uh, 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 the the King Muzaffar uh, uh, Abu Bakr uh, 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 bin Saad, the ruler of Shiraz, uh, uh, he, he sent him a great amount of money. He mentions a number of uh, a number of different rulers, both Muslim and Kafir, that would send uh, gifts uh, to the Sheikh, um, non-Muslim, uh, both from the Mongols and from. Uh, other non-Muslim rules uh, to the extent that he also received gifts from uh, the Indian subcontinent uh, that uh, Dhabi mentions uh, uh, that from those who were in correspondence with, with him was the Sultan of Hind Nasruddin Aybek and uh, 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 the uh, ruler at that time of Multan Riyathuddin Balban who uh, was a Turkic commander who uh, also was famed to have defeated the Mongols in battle because the Mongols never took over the uh, Indian subcontinent. Uh, it's said that uh, Monke, uh, when he became the great Khan uh, uh, of the Mongols, that he also sent a great amount of uh, a great amount of money to um, uh, to uh, Al Bakharzi and his wazir, his his minister Burhanuddin Masoud, the son of Mahmud Al Wach. Um, that he was also known for his ilm, uh, and he wasn't a Sunni, he was heterodox. And this is, by the way, this is something that's like an old thing, that the the the, the people who were the antagonists of the Ahl-Sunnah oftentimes are the first ones to uh, cross over to the other side and, and collaborate with uh, the enemies of Islam. Uh, but he was a, uh, he was a Mu'taziri, and... Uh, <laughs> It said though when he would meet when he would meet uh, Bakharzi, he would uh, uh, he would ki- kiss him, and he would stand uh, basically at attention, and not leave until he received permission to leave. He would show a high amount of adab to Bakharzi. When people would ask him like, "What's up with that?" he would say, uh, "Because this is the amount of respect my father used to show him, and this is also because this man has so much respect from the." Uh, the Mongol Khans, who are my bosses, the kings, that uh, if he if he tells them to kill me, I have no doubt that they would they would uh, be off with my head. Um, so it's also a very practical matter as well. Um, it's said that uh, uh, he had a number of workers uh, uh, um, uh, that worked for him. That he was given uh, 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 a number of villages. Uh, the kharaj of which were basically his uh, feudal fiefs. Um, when he passed, 104 of his slaves were freed, and uh, uh, he asked that uh, he be buried in the khirqa of his sheikh, 
several hundred thousand people um, attended his janazah, but he said, and he, he ordered in his wasiyah that the Quran reciters should not walk in front of my uh, janazah, nor should criers cry in my janazah, because both of these things are bid'at, both of them are reprehensible innovations. Uh, from his, amongst his uh, uh, slaves that he owned, over 60 of them had memorized the Quran and were scribes and were students of hadith. From amongst uh, uh, the, the, those slaves that he had given instruction in deen uh, was Nafi'uddin who transmits hadith from him and uh, made hajj and actually used to uh, be a person who was entrusted with his, uh, with his affairs. And that he wrote the over 40 masahif with his own hand. Um, uh, and this is interesting. It's like something really interesting to, to note that uh, people entrusted the ulama with, with their wealth. What did Bakharzi do with it? I mean, it's not like he, you know, he, he was like a lifestyle sheikh like we have on Instagram or TikTok nowadays. Um, and, you know, showing that, look, I'm at, you know, such and such hotel or I'm eating halal things and like hashtag alhamdulillah or all this nonsense. These people didn't care about any of this stuff. What what happened was people would give them the their lands and people would give them these in, income streams so that they could... Uh, uh, manage them and use them for the uh, benefit of the ummah and the benefit of mankind that people could be taught. Even look, if you have 40 slaves that, uh, mashallah, memorized the Quran and were taught Arabic and um, actually uh, served as functionaries, this means that the type of slavery that they had was very different than the slavery in the American South where it was actually literally illegal to teach somebody how to read. Um, but then again, this was an era where Mamluk kings ruled over Egypt and Syria and over India, that slaves actually became kings and they became the ruling class. That it was a very different type of slavery when the master is benevolent and when the system is good. Oftentimes the slaves are more upwardly mobile than a free uh, black man or brown man might be in Europe or in America uh, even to this day. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the sheikh basically was invested with a great amount of uh, revenue uh, and he used it in order to build these madaris so that people could get educated. And he used his political influence in order to basically talk like very angry and very violent Mongol commanders down from, uh, 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 you know, their uh, bloodthirsty fits of rage. Because there are people who are known, they said that Genghis Khan, when he saw the Muslims uh, adhere to their sharia so tightly, that he had the customary laws of the Mongols also codified uh, into what they call the Yasa. And so the Yasa has, uh, you know, so many dozens of different regulations that you can't, you know, defile a body of water or whatever their old Mongol traditions are. Um, it had a number of, you know, dozens and dozens of different laws, but only one punishment, which is death uh, uh, for violating uh, for violating them. Bakharzi had said that he would use his influence uh, in order to in order to stop people from, stop the, the Mongol commanders from basically killing uh, uh, a whole bunch of people. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy on him. From his students, uh, there are those who, uh, again, reach the Indian subcontinent. Um, from amongst his students, there are those who go and make dawah to the rough-riding uh, Kipchak Turks in the steppe uh, and further afield, further north to the more desolate and... Uh, um, sparsely populated areas um, there are those who learn hadith and learn the ulum at their hands and they transmit them 
uh, around to this day. Um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us some sense also that we use the uh, um, the resources and the, the blessings Allah ta'ala gave us in order to um, preserve and propagate this civilization as well uh, rather than, uh, you know, uh, spending a thousand dollars on a room that we could have spent a hundred dollars on and a uh, hundred dollars on a meal we could have spent fifteen dollars on and uh, four hundred dollars on shoes we could have spent fifty dollars on uh, not knowing that Allah Ta'ala didn't send us to this world in order to wear expensive shoes and waste money on expensive hotels and buy houses that are bigger than we need and meals that are overpriced and just going to send us to our grave uh, uh, more bloated and with uh, higher blood sugar levels and with higher fat levels. But he sent us to this world in order to find his love uh, and that once we find it, that it stays with us and abides with us in life and in death and forever and ever. Allah Ta'ala give us that tawfiq uh, like he gave to our forefathers. Wa sallallahu ta'ala rasulihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.